the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living Podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. I'm excited to welcome Victoria Kozar to Boomer Living Podcast. Thank you so much, Victoria, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here with us today. And can we get started by having you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, where you are from, and what projects are you working on right now? I'm from Connecticut, New Milford, small town in um, Western Connecticut. So right now, I'm actually a medical student at University of Connecticut. Some of the things I'm working on is I'm very active with the Alzheimer's Association chapter here. Uh, I work as a health policy ambassador, a community educator, and I just founding the American Geriatric Society chapter at UConn. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for choosing this industry and uh, making a difference for the older adults. I commend you for that. We need more gerontologists and geriatricians. Yeah, part of what I, I want to do is to inspire more young people. I mean, America is getting older, the world is getting older, and we don't have the workforce to take care of them. Yeah. Okay, so let's, why don't we get started by having you talk a little bit why you are so passionate about assisted living and senior care industry. Yeah, so when I was in college, my senior year, I took part in a program called the Students in Residence Program. So my entire year, I lived in an assisted living community among the residents, developing friendships. And hearing from their perspective, what their interpretation of healthcare was, the role that they played. And I saw that as a future provider, that a lot of older people had a very passive role they felt in their care. And while I was there, I got very close to one of the residents. Her name was Beth. And we've been friends for the past couple of years. And I've particularly shifted uh, my interests for Alzheimer's and dementia because she started experiencing cognitive decline a couple of years ago. And as a 20 something, that was something I didn't have any experience with. I didn't really have anyone I could turn to. My peers obviously um, hadn't gone through the same thing. So I reached out to my local chapter, the Alzheimer's Association, and I fell in love with it. I just wanted to make a difference. And I didn't want anyone to ever feel as powerless as I did or Beth did um, when we were experiencing that together. You sound like you have an old soul. Bless you. (laughs) That is awesome. I love it. So can you talk about your experience working with seniors in assisted living community? So is this the student in resident program that you were a part of? Yes. Yes, it was the student residence program. So I've shifted gears. I I have some experience in assisted living. Most recently, I spent the last two years before I went to medical school um, in skilled nursing facilities. So I quickly saw the night and day of the difference in resources especially going into this pandemic, that was the end of of me working. And it was definitely a difference between night and day between the two. 
Yeah. So what did you see, like some of your biggest challenges that you faced while doing this work? Some of the biggest challenges, I think, was definitely just resources as far as staffing went. The turnover was incredible. As soon as residents would be comfortable with one caregiver, they would be out the door. Besides that, we ran out of PPE several times. It got to a point where it was probably the beginning of March, where this, this was before, obviously, any policies were in place, where staff was instructed not to wear masks or gloves unless absolutely necessary, unless someone was bleeding or actively um, coughing which was scary because we didn't know what was going on um, and we didn't feel protected, obviously. So it, it was very frustrating to know that there was this disease and not having really any way to really help those who needed. It's like a wildfire. Once it starts, it's just exasperates and multiplied, isn't it? I, I have to say, given the circumstances and given the resources, those caregivers, especially the, the certified nursing assistants, those were the really unsung heroes. They, they went in their guns blazing, working in several different facilities, knowing that, that these outbreaks were going on and they weren't afraid. Yeah, I echo that. They are the heroes. So what was the most rewarding part of this work for you? The thing with this work is some days it is exasperating, but on, on other days, even getting the smallest smile, even if the person doesn't know who's on the other end of the phone or if they don't know, uh, exactly who I was that day because I spent my time running a dementia unit. There were times I'd go into work and it would be a favorite resident who was having a rough day. And it's heartbreaking to know they weren't sure who I was. But even if it was singing their favorite song, giving them any kind of comfort in their day, anything to leave that fear aside, you know, yeah. it's enough to make you go to work the next day. Yeah. They sure have an impact on us, don't they? The, the older generation, parents and grandparents. There's something about genuity, wisdom, their stories. I always find their attitude and life and their spunkiness. Don't we wish we had that now and not 80s or 90s? So I love their just overall disposition. The positivity that you know, every time I, I had a complaint with my day, I'd have to change my perspective because even when it was the, the rainiest, crummiest day, they'd find something to smile about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. What will you take away from this whole experience? I, I think the most important thing is to make sure that whatever you do to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. With what I saw, we, we can talk about all the challenges and, and everything till we're blue in the face. But until we make a difference and step up, um, especially from an infrastructure standpoint, we have to have the conversations with people who can really make a difference, whether it be in policy and healthcare administration. It's important to bring these concerns, to bring them up. We can't just keep these conversations between ourselves. Exactly. I agree with that. I think folks who are working in the aging population, the older adults, whether it's senior living or care providers, I think it's great that we communicate among each other's camaraderie and support one another. I think it's even more important that we start talking people outside the industry, educating folks who are, let's say, 40s and 50s of what's upcoming for their parents and grandparents, providing the awareness and education to be prepared your living arrangements and your caregiving arrangements for the later part of life. There's a, a lot of problems, and I think COVID uncovered many. I think it's really important that not only the folks in senior living are recognizing it, so does the whole world. So I think we all got to step it up. And with everything going on, I, I think it's just the beginning. 
I, I think finally all of the shortcomings that we saw in the field are, are becoming a little more mainstream. And I, I think the importance of care planning, especially, we didn't know this was coming and a lot of people didn't have things in place. People who progressed during the months of quarantine, for example, we need to make sure that we have kind of safeguards in place to make sure that we do have the best outcomes no matter what happens. So who would you recommend the student in residence programs to? I would recommend it to honestly any student, even those outside of healthcare. I think we forget that no matter what we go into, whether it be business, journalism, we're going to be exposed to older people. It's the majority of the population right now. And people don't want to talk about that. And people don't want to be exposed to that. I think a lot of people still think of nursing homes with a negative connotation. And aging is beautiful. And I think we all need to see that, especially young people, because those intergenerational relationships are, are so beneficial. There's so much that we can learn, but also so much that we can give. And this kind of gave an opportunity for that recipro- uh, reciprocal relationship there, that especially people who are figuring out their careers, college students, it, it's really enlightening. <laughs> it is. I really admire your attitude, your wisdom, and you, the soul that you have. It's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I have a daughter around your age, and she's a medical student, too. She undergraduate. She volunteered at the geriatrician department, and I hear a lot of stories. So I just love your spunkiness and attitude. And, you know, not too many, you know, people who are in their 20s feel this way. Yeah. And at first I found it very isolating, but I use it as my crusade to get other people on our side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Good for you. All right. So how has COVID disproportionately impacted those with Alzheimer's? Especially in the past couple of years, we've seen so much progress about figuring out ways to protect ourselves against Alzheimer's, against the risks, specifically with the finger study, which came out last year, where we learned the importance of cognitive and social interaction, the importance of healthy diet and and thorough follow-up, which with COVID, none of those things could be done. Uh, So people who might have been in the earlier stages, we saw progress faster and and outcomes became significantly worse. Over the course of, I think it was June to September, there was over 11,000 additional deaths from Alzheimer's and dementia than we had seen in years past. So we can see just how much that affected people, whether it be being alone without their families. The other issue too was people who were home, a lot of the families didn't have the tools to to provide the best kinds of care, the stress that puts on everyone. We also saw an increase in, in elder abuse, which also um, caused a lot of the outcomes to be not as great as we would have hoped. So I think it came from all angles where it, it didn't really matter what circumstance they were in. It didn't just affect those who were in assisted living or skilled nursing, but, but all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that we all need to keep the older adults safe, first and foremost. And I keep saying that it's a fine balance to keeping them safe, but also engaged and thriving, right? Because we need all of that for our overall well-being. And it's a challenge to continue to keep that um, liveliness, engagement with families and with each other. And I think if you don't, those statistics are going to keep going up. Yeah, um, I mean, they're they're continuing to climb. But as you mentioned, it is a balance between maintaining that dignity and knowing when to step in. So I think it is really important that we continue as a community to reach out to our neighbor if we know that they're having a hard time with this. I know my family, we tried to make sure 
everyone was calling my grandparents several times a week just to keep them engaged because think of how bored we were and we have phones and all this technology and, and even I feel like some of my social skills weren't <laughs> at their peak after several months of being home. So it was really important not to leave anyone behind. Yeah. What is the importance of intergenerational relationships and experiences in today's world? As I had said, our, our world is getting older, and I think it's important to keep our communities as livable for as long as possible. If we can keep older people in their homes, engaged in the community, everyone benefits. And as I mentioned before, too, there's so much we have to learn, especially with technology. I feel like we disengage sometimes, um, and we, we lose that benefit of, of face-to-face relationships. Especially when I was in college, we, I founded an organization called Old Friends and New, pairing young people and older adults to have those face-to-face conversations. And it was incredible what people gained from it. They're so used to easily calling or texting a friend and to write a letter to someone or just to sit for a couple hours and talk about family and things that were important to them. I do a lot of perspective and I think you appreciate all that life has to offer a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. You're very wise. <laughs> I give that to to my friends from uh, assisted living. It's not all me. (laughs) That wisdom comes from friendships. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So do these relationships have similar impacts on the younger and the older person? Or does it bring different benefits to both parties? I, I think it definitely brings some similar and some different benefits, obviously. As far as, as for the older people, they often talked about how it was nice to feel young again, to talk about things that are important to young people, to learn about pop culture. We often found ourselves sharing music or movies with each other, and they said it helped keep them current. But at the same time, the wisdom that they shared, just reminding us what was important, just even talking about culture that we might have been disconnected to ourselves as the generations go on. It was nice to learn a couple words in Italian that I wasn't able to Mm. learn from my parents because they didn't speak it passing some recipes along it. It was really great. And things that uh, you just can't get from people your own age. I don't know. I think <laughs> there's something very special about that. I agree. Yeah. I'm smiling because what you're sharing with me is the same thing that my daughter share with me. She said that often when either she's having issues with either schoolwork, roommate, this is years ago, you know, relationship. She really enjoyed going into the geriatric department at Michigan on Friday and Saturday and hang out with old people. <laughs> and sometimes they give the most honest advice, even the stuff your friends won't tell you. I'm telling you. <laughs> exactly. And everything that you're saying, I'm laughing and I'm admiring. Uh, but it touches near and dear. And I thought, I'm just thinking to myself, that's a wonderful thing that, that you would want to spend Friday and Saturday night in, in a place with old people. And she just said, Mom, they just tell me their stories and they listen. They're really genuine and they're smart and um, they're just real people. So it's wonderful. I love everything that you're saying and I really admire because I think you're a very good example to your peers and high school kids and the younger generation. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so what has been your most impactful in intergenerational relationship that you've had in your life? And, and what did you learn from it? 
Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, uh, my friend Beth and I, I still see her several times in the month. Having a relationship with her, I think when I went into that experience, I expected a lot of the relationships to be like having many grandparents. And I quickly learned, especially with Beth, I had some of those kind of relationships. But we quickly found that we connected on a level where we were more like friends, where we were able to talk about our fears, our passions, things we, we wanted to do, things we wanted to see. And it was so special because I don't think either of us expected that, where where she'll tell me often, she's like, you're like my sister. And mm. hearing that from someone who's 93, I, I, I think there's something beautiful about that. Despite the generations between us, she's old enough to be my great grandmother, that we can still have this bond that, that surpasses all of that. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it's a treasure that you can have that person to commiserate with something that's very personal and there's no obligation or pressure of any sort it's just pure yeah she was one of the first people to meet my boyfriend <laughs> everyone thinks that's funny they're like not your parents not your, your best friend from school i'm like oh no if beth doesn't like him it doesn't matter <laughs> luckily she, she approves so <laughs> how sweet yeah that's sweet Gosh, I'm just thinking, maybe my daughter's doing that. How come I haven't heard anything? Maybe she's <laughs> asking for somebody else's approval. <laughs> That's great. So how can people build new intergenerational relationships? It must be more difficult today, especially because of the pandemic and the social isolation. Absolutely. Uh, I think the, the best thing you can do uh, is, is just to reach out. I, at, like working in a nursing home, I wish I heard from students because sometimes there was so little that we could do as far as activities went or social interaction went. I, I would have loved for a student to just call me and say, hey, is there somebody I could write to or talk on the phone with or even local senior centers uh, or even I have the Alzheimer's Association hotline. That's a great resource to call even to find um, support groups that you can meet people. Uh, that number is 800-272-3900. That's my, that was my first step, <laughs> just to call and, and see what's out there. Mm-hmm. I think it can't hurt. The only thing you can do is gain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you're an advocate for Alzheimer research, education, and political reform. Are there specific policies that you're advocating right now? Yeah, there are several, I think, especially timely policies going on right now. One is the Care for Alzheimer's Act. And that is educating upcoming physicians, current physicians on just what care planning benefits are available and billable through Medicare and Medicaid. A lot of the time, sometimes the diagnoses aren't well discussed or disclosed to patients. Sometimes it's only disclosed to the family. And it's just providing that extra layer of education to to have those conversations and to make the time, especially with, with the pandemic going on. It is important to have plans in place if things get worse. God forbid anything happens. So that one, I near and dear to me, especially as a future physician, I think that the earlier you can expose um, people to that, the, the better. Also, the Elder Abuse Act is very important. It's providing training for social workers and law enforcement because sometimes challenging behaviors of Alzheimer's and dementia are misinterpreted and you might miss the signs of abuse, especially for people who've been home, that if they do have a call and they do show up on the scene, they, they have the tools in their tool belt to, to say, hey, maybe something's not right here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that that line of caregiving and abuse. I'm no expert, but I'm I can imagine that it can be blur. Exactly. And sometimes you you don't even recognize it. So it is important to give people those tools because people don't think about financial abuse as well. It it isn't just physical. So there's other ways that older people can be taken advantage of, especially those with cognitive decline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, very true. So part of your advocacy work, you're a community dementia educator. So please tell us um, what this means. It's important for people even outside of the field to be able to recognize certain things, even with the 10 signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia. If you're in a grocery store and you see someone being lost, rather than get frustrated that they're, they're a little bit slower or taking up all the room in the aisle, maybe we need to have those people in the community to recognize, hey, this might be someone struggling um, with Alzheimer's or dementia. And right now, what they need is someone, someone to be in their corner. I think it's very important to have those people out in the community who, who are ready and able to help out a neighbor in need. So whether it be just recognizing the signs and symptoms, just finding ways to support them, be a friend. Yeah, I, I think it's very important. People of all ages, people of all backgrounds, it's usually stripped down for everyone to understand. So I, I think it's very important to yeah. give yourself the information. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very true. So now have you given any thought about your own aging journey and how you would like to grow old? So actually, before a lot of these experiences, it was something that I thought was so far that I don't have to talk about this, even think about it for, for a long time. And having these experiences and meeting these people, I realized that every day is a step towards aging. You want to live your life in a way that you'll be proud to look back on all these years later. So I make sure every day I live intentionally, try to bring positivity into the lives of others, be kind. Some of the best advice that I had gotten from my friends and neighbors were things like that because you don't want to live with any regrets. So I, I took that to heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very wonderful. I think your parents, I'm sure they're very proud of the person that you're becoming and what a good heart you have in wanting to dedicate your career in serving the older adults. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. It's, it's really my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so do you have anything else that you would like to share? Okay. Your questions right. are very thorough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I love what you're doing. I love your attitude. And what a blessing. And stay on this path. Continue with your <laughs> success. Um, I, I feel like your daughter and I would be very good friends. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. She's not telling me much. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's not telling me much. I'm just wondering, did she find another, <laughs> like, older adult that she's commiserating with, which is fine, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're so easy to talk to. <laughs> oh, I enjoy it. So have a good day. You as well. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.